everyone. My name is Jen LaBarbera and my pronouns are they and she. I work at Pride as the Education and Advocacy Manager. Hey everyone, I'm Stacy. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I work over at the ACLU of San Diego and Imperial Counties. And I also happen to volunteer as the chair of SheFest and the co-manager of the Pride Festival. And she's my partner. She's my partner. Yeah. So welcome to the Spirit of Stonewall series, where we celebrate and honor our Spirit of Stonewall awardees for their contributions to the LGBTQ community, leadership, activism, fundraising efforts, and we get an opportunity to talk with our awardees and give you all a chance to get to know them better. Today, we're celebrating one of my favorite aspects of the LGBTQ community, which is love. The Stonewall Inspirational Re Relationship Award recognizes a friendship, a familial bond, an intimate relationship whose love, strength, work, and commitment to LGBTQ equality embodies the humanity of our community. And our 2020 Spirit of Stonewall Inspirational Relationship Awardees are Linda Barifaldi and Joyce Marib. Uh, this couple has been together for 47 years, going on 48. That's right, 47. Uh, Joyce and Linda have actually known each other most of their lives and managed to not kill each other. Uh, <laughs> they were born a block and a half uh, from one another in the same small Western Massachusetts town. It was in grad school, though, in Boston, though, that they finally fell in love and have been together ever since. And I will just say we got a small preview of that story and we're really happy to bring it to you today. Uh, they've both been active, um, both separately and together, in a lot of different political movements. Uh, a, a really long list. Here we go. Here's the list that we're going to share with you. It's just a snippet. Civil rights, the peace movement, second wave feminism, LGBTQ issues. Poverty, electoral politics, anti-racism, uh, education, environmental and immigration issues. They, uh, and I quote here, have never met a fight for justice they didn't like. I mean, yeah, these are definitely our kind of people. Uh, so they moved from Massachusetts here to San Diego, and as someone who's done the same, uh, it's a great choice. Uh, where they opened the Amazon Sweet Shop, which is, was, and I quote again, a political activism cell masquerading as an ice cream store. Pretty ideal. Linda, uh, this place was an institution, especially for feminists and lesbian, bi, and queer women of San Diego. Linda and Joyce both had additional careers beyond having this queer institution as well. Linda practiced as a chiropractor in Hillcrest for almost 20 years and then worked over at the center. Joyce's career and volunteerism spanned both Stepping Stone as a board member and then as a hugely successful CEO of GSDBA, which is the Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce here in San Diego. They got married in 2008 when it was finally legal and upon retiring, continued to support and engage with the community through political activism for justice, all of which is why these two powerhouses are with us today. Hi. Thank you. So, uh, we, appreciate, we, we appreciate your having us and, uh, the, and honoring us. Uh, we, we love pride and uh, take pride in pride and are happy to uh, be nominated and I guess chosen. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a fine conversation with you today. That's it. 
I can't hear them. I can't hear you. Awesome. And we've got a, a series of questions that uh, some of them have been submitted by community members, right. and some of them have been. Uh -oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Can you can you hear me now? Yeah. Tech support folks, are we good? Uh-oh. Can you hear us now? Yeah, we can. Can you hear us? That's funny because are we back? Are we back? Linda said, "Yeah, we're back. We're back. No, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, we can't hear you. Can't hear you. Okay. All right. How about now? Can you hear us? Yeah. Yes. Okay." See, it's the young ones with the the, the technical difficulties, right? <laughs> Boy. Mm -hmm. All right. You go. I'm going to. I don't know. Okay. So we'll we'll just roll with it. The the joys of being live are endless, uh, obviously. So, so let's go ahead and and uh, start in on some of the questions that folks okay. have submitted and some of the folks that uh, some of the questions that we have come up with ourselves because we are very excited to be able to interview you so yeah like you kind of just heard in the intro like we teased out a little bit about you two um falling in love in boston and i was kind of wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how you two finally came to, to be together, given that you had known each other for, for quite some time and then something happened in Boston. So why don't you, why don't you set the scene for us? How did you want me to do it? Yeah. How did you two finally well, come together? Um, as you said, we were born not very far from each other, and but there's eight years between us in age. So while we knew each other, it was a very small town, everybody knew everybody, we didn't play together as children or hang out together. We didn't, we weren't in school at the same school at the same time, that kind of thing. Able to hear that? Yeah. What happened? I don't get it. What's going on? What's happening? We should ask him what's going on. Um, should I keep talking? Can, what's going on? Can you hear us? Can you hear us? No. You know, the type over the private chat? I don't know. Not that, up here, private chat. Yeah.
Hang on one second. Sorry, everyone. Not turn that on yet. Yeah. How's this? Okay. Over to the phone. Okay. All right. Can you hear us now? You're cutting in and out still. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to try again. Now okay. that we've got the nice awkward live part out of doing this. <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to repeat the question about kind of how you two met? Um, sure. Uh, you don't have to repeat it. I can just respond to it if you like. Um, so we were born in this little town. Oh, everybody's sending me texts that says that they can hear us just fine. They can't hear you. Okay, well, it's more important that they hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we did not hang out together when we were younger because the age difference made a difference. But um, when we were in Boston, Joyce was in graduate school in theology and philosophy at BU, and I was in, at Harvard in um, social justice, social social justice ethics like that. And the truth is I had been mad for Joyce since I was little. And um, so we hung out more and more, but this time as equals, as friends. And then it was at the end of two years of being in grad school together that we actually fell in love. And then Joyce immediately went to teach at Notre Dame and left. <laughs> well, actually, um, how I really fell in love with Linda was uh, uh -oh. I, I liked being chased. That was nice. Uh, and But she, uh, she edited my dissertation. And so I got to see her mind and she got to see my mind. And, you know, I, so that's a lot of what we share, uh, you know, what we think and uh, about things. So... I fell in love with her mind, but that wasn't all. Uh, <laughs> so that's pretty much, uh, how, you know, and then, then when I went away to teach, uh, she wrote me some note about she was seeing this woman. So I wrote her a poem and it was just the thing. Right? Right. Yeah. So it started there and then it progressed and, uh, that we date our getting together or committing ourselves to each other. Uh, then on New Year's Eve, we were babysitting at my cousin Jan's house for her, her children that we were very close to. And uh, we decided, well, we wanted to be together. So that was our commitment time. That's right. Yep. Oh my gosh. Do you remember well, that? Do you remember that as, as far as being nervous about making that kind of commitment to one another? Or did you feel at that point that it was kind of already in the bag, so to speak? Well, commitment wasn't that easy for me. Um, I was, what, 33? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'd been around a long time and I, I, I didn't want to settle really uh, too easily. And uh, 
<laughs> I, you know, I didn't really know what it entailed. I have to say, I mean, we learned what commitment was in, in the process of our relationship. You have an idea, but I mean, until you live it, it's really, I didn't know really. And of course it changes over time, but uh, we thought we'd give it a try. Well, I, on the other hand, had been ass over tea kettle in love with her for, you know, <laughs> 10 years by then. So um, I had no uh, hesitation, but she sure did. What I also didn't have, however, was any relationship skills. Um, I, you know, I had not come up in a house where that was modeled or I, that, I don't know. I didn't know how to do it. Um, I, I didn't know how to communicate. And um, we weren't that good at it together. No, it was not easy. No. No, we had to get help. So um, so, so we, we thought we, we got therapy. What was fun about it, though, is we came to San Diego and we went to this woman I had met at Las Hermanas, the you probably know about Las Hermanas, uh, you know, Women's Center. I thought, well, she'd be good. She's a psychologist. So we went to her. And uh, I guess we kind of were a little raucous and we fought during the, the thing. Mm. And so she said, I don't know why you two want to be together. You know, I thought, this is a therapist? So we went outside and we figured, well, it's us against the world. So, <laughs> so actually she helped us bond a little bit. But uh, I'm being but therapy throughout our relationship, couples therapy has taught us what we needed to know to have a life together that was mm -hmm. a mature, grown-up, responsible, happy life. So, And we continue to go from time to time. Yeah, like when you're having an old fight, you're not really having it. It's not about that. It's about something else. So go to the therapist, find out what you're actually fighting about, and deal, talk about it. Deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Yes, strongly agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was a blessing, and it was um, it was just starting, I think, to be a more common thing, like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was a child, I remember asking to go to a therapist and having, you know, being told, "Oh my God, that you know, we we don't do that." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm sort of thing, you know, I, so, yeah, but um, we work it through, we just work it through, we know now that nobody's going anywhere, mm -hmm. and so, um, what's that thing you say about, how do, you, how do people stay together? Oh, don't break up, <laughs> yeah, people ask us all the time what our secret is, how do you stay together, and we say, well, don't break up, yeah. Um, yeah. And don't and don't threaten to break up. Yeah, yeah. you know that's what that's where therapy was helpful. You know, either stay with it or go, but don't yeah. don't threaten. Yeah, yeah, you can go if you want, but if you say you're gonna go, you gotta go. Yeah, so we're staying. We're staying. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was staying. that was one of the questions we were gonna be asking you was some advice, and you've already given it to us. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And I don't know, after nearly 47 years together, do you feel like you're still kind of learning new things about one another? Or do you feel like you know each other 
like the back of your hand at this point. Well, there is that. I mean, very familiar, you know, but the other day, Linda and I were talking about, you know, since we were going to do this, about our political past and the things we had done. And, you know, I've heard Linda's stories. If anybody knows Linda, they know she's a storyteller. So I've heard her stories many times, but I heard something new the other day. She told me she was a founding member of now at Cornell. I never knew that about her. So. There were three of us. <laughs> three, three women at three Cornell. women at Cornell made the now of Cornell. I didn't know we she had was. we had a letter for each person. <laughs> but I think you know everything about me, don't you? God, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't think of anything that I wondered about. I I don't know. Um, like Joyce went to a Catholic college. And so once in a while, I'll learn what a Catholic school is. Like she'll say something that, you know, she'll say, so of course we all had to go to mass every morning or something. And that I will kind of go, what? But um, we didn't. Okay. Well, that was somebody else, I guess. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, uh, we mostly know each other pretty well. Yeah. We, we can often speak in half sentences. Did you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. seems like a thing to aspire to. That, that does yeah. indeed, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. I do, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, so activism has been always been like a huge part of both of your lives. So... I mean, I have a lot of questions about that. So many. As far as um, <laughs> your relationship and activism, your relationship to activism, but then your relationship as a couple and activism. So I think start with, um, like, how did you both become activists, right? Like, you both grew up in, I mean, I know Western Mass, and it's... <laughs> yeah, not a lot going on. Yeah, there. no, it wasn't there. <laughs> so... So when did it start? Like, how did you become, how did you decide that that was what, what fueled you? I always blame the Pope. When I was <laughs> a sophomore in college, the Pope said that all Catholics, and I still was one, should pray for peace in the month of October. But how the radical chaplain at Cornell interpreted that was to have a vigil for peace in the war in Vietnam. And he asked if I would come and bring my guitar and we would sing peace songs. So I went and I learned a lot of stuff about what was going on in the war in Vietnam that I had no idea about. And so then I began to work against the war. And then, um, then something that was very formational for me was a, a project that I was in. I, in, on, in some ways, it didn't do anybody any good, but it was called a project to organize whites to eliminate racism. And we were going to go to, we went to um, suburbs in, in Westchester County in New York and try to teach people about institutional racism. And we knew about institutional racism because there had just been the Kerner report that, that the government put out that talked about institutional racism. And while I don't think that project did much, I know we went out to dinner a lot, but um, 
I don't know what else we really did. We tried to talk to uh, high school kids, I think. So who knows what happens when you, you know, throw a stone in a pond. But, um, but what happened for me was that I realized if there's institutional racism and there's all this um, oppression going on that I had no idea about, um, then there must be institutional other stuff. There must be institutional sexism and institutional ableism and, and all of that. So I saw, I began to see it all as of one piece. So I don't think of myself as being an activist in a lot of different movements. I think of myself as being an activist for justice, for equality. And wherever that happens to come up in front of my face, that I see that there's some, you know, and sometimes it's it's a little thing. I mean, I was pretty sick at the beginning of uh, the Trump administration. But one thing I did do was that every morning when I woke up, I pulled up my Five Calls app on my phone and I called five members of the Senate and the House of Representatives or the California State Assembly or the California State Senate or some committee or something. But I made five calls. And, you know, if you look on my five call app now, I'm more able to run out and do stuff. But, you know, there are hundreds and hundreds of calls made. It took, I remember, six or seven minutes every morning. But... You know, we always do something. Well, um, I I think for me, uh, life taught me about justice or injustice. I, uh, you know, I, I when we were when I was young, if, when you were fourteen, you could work on the tobacco farm in the summer, uh, and I did that for three summers, and there were. Uh, black kids from Springfield that would come. And so I'd have contact with black kids that I wouldn't have in my little town. And then my mother was from Louisiana, so she was very color conscious. And my family, uh, we were like the darkest, pretty dark skinned in our community. And so we were called the N-word. So, you know, a reflective person, you think about what in the world is this about and why are people doing this? And then when I studied literature, uh, you know, literature like just opens every community up to you. And you meet people you never would have met and you think thoughts you never would have thought. And uh, that really, really turned the tide for me. That And that's, that's somehow I became a teacher because I realized that if I could, my spirit could be changed and I could learn and grow from where I was, then I would like to participate in doing that for other people. And then that's the kind of like the, you know, getting involved and, and doing. So that's kind of where I was. Yeah. And then there was the Catholic church was involved in that. I used to teach catechism. I went to Catholic, you know, I did the whole thing. And the Catholics used to have, I still have probably, a just war theory. There are times when you can go to war. Well, I thought about that and thought about that and realized, no, there are no times. So I became a pacifist and that kind of influenced us. 
some of what I was involved in too. Like that. You know, you you talk about kind of the big kind of justice. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your kind of thoughts and reflections are regarding kind of like the most recent calls for justice amongst like the Black Lives Matter movement and the mm -hmm. Black Trans Lives uh, Matter movement. And I'm kind of wondering how you see that fitting into the, the long arc of justice that you have been involved in. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. You can. Well, um, I, I, I like the, the quote that you're referring to. The art, the arc, uh, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Um, so, what I think is, you know, that I spent a long time in my life not knowing there were trans people, and I spent some of my life not knowing a black person. You know, but the more that you go out in the world and you meet people, um, the more it opens you up to the idea that people will find any excuse in the world to discriminate <laughs> against other people and that, and that I'm against that. But you were saying uh, earlier that, uh, the, you know, this, this is the civil rights movement that we were in. Oh, that was a question. Yeah. In the 60s, it's the same movement. It's it's mm -hmm. movement for justice and equality for black people. And uh, we were involved with it then and we are now. And what's interestingly different about everything now is the, the vast numbers of people that have risen up and are in the streets. I mean, we've been in the streets forever. But, you know, the biggest crowd, you know, biggest crowds in the old days used to be if you went to D.C. and everybody congregated there. So there'd be 100, 200,000 people. But you'd never see that in these other marches and demonstrations. So, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a groundswell, you know, and I'm hoping, you know, the story about the hundredth monkey. Um, can you tell it? Well, I don't even know if it's really true or if it's like a fable. No. I believe it. Okay, she believes it. Um, but theoretically, there was some kind of an animal scientist who watched <laughs> the then monkeys. Uh, huh? What? Oh, cat. Oh. Oh. Um, watched these monkeys on an island, and when and and one monkey. Um, figured out how to use a stick to open a clam or something. And then she taught her child to do it. And then they taught each other and they taught each other. But then when the hundredth monkey, some critical mass of monkeys had learned how to do this, suddenly all the monkeys knew how to do it. And not just in that location, other places they did. So it changed. What is that called in science? I don't know. I'm retired. I'll get to it in a minute. But so it changed. So it was the turning point. 
So I'm hoping well, critical mass, critical mass. Yeah. yeah. But I'm hoping that this is what's happening to us now, that this is the turning point. And, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we all. I mean, I always think it's the turning point. I always want it to be the turning point. What one difference I see now is that um, the people are there. There are more young people. Yeah. And that in these Black Lives Matters and, you know, about the police brutality and about um, institutional racism, there are more white people marching than when we were marching before. Mm -hmm. I mean, we used to be yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a small minority and, in that crowd. And the thing I wanted to say about this movement it's, it's, we found this, and you know, the reason I was in the, involved in the business association for gays and lesbians was that you have to attain wealth in order to attain equality. So that there's a correlation between having money and having justice and freedom in your lives. So we have been able in the gay and lesbian community to do that and to work to, to build that that wealth. And now the, the black community, that wealth has been taken from them. And now they have mm -hmm. to start all over almost, but they have to build economic wealth in order to have equality. That's just how it works. I mean, that's how I've seen it. And that's, that's where the power comes from. Yeah, so. that's kind of, I think that's the reality of that we live in a society as much as like, you know, we might dream something else and dream something else into existence the reality of the now is that right that is one of the ways that we get power is through um right through taking back the power and the wealth that has been taken from us yeah which mm -hmm. um still got quite a lot of work to do um i wanted to ask about that that turning point that you were referring to right like you always think it's the turning point you always hope it's the turning point is there, and, and, you know, like I'm in my mid thirties. And so I have some experience, but y'all have more years on me of, um, you know, of feeling that is this the moment, is this the turning point? Does this moment feel different? Does it feel like something really is changing? Cause it feels that way for me, but I also recognize that I have fewer years under my belt and maybe wrong. I'm hoping I'm right, but. Well, I thought that's what I was saying. For me, it, it does feel that way. And I've had hope before, but I ha this hope is new and different for me. That I, I you know, there's just people who you'd never expect to be out in the streets who are out in the streets. And they're doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're not, you know, I mean, there are good people. Well, now the good people are rising up. And, you know, so more of them, way more. I don't know. You feel that way, honey? Um, I am not as hopeful as you are. I, I feel like I always think it's the time. and that, that But also that there's a way in which it always is the time hmm. in the sense that hmm. you, hmm. you keep doing it. You have to keep, you know, um, you know that Sweet Honey song, We Who Believe in Freedom Cannot Rest? We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Yep. And um, that's what I think. I think I made a commitment a long time ago to do what I could when it came in front of my face. And when I 
nothing came in front of my face to look around and see what I could do. Um, I've felt, I've felt really the worst part of the quarantine for me has been that I did not feel at my age and given my health that I could go out in those crowds. And so I feel like, you know, I'm a senior, it's the prom and I can't go. And I really want to be out in the streets in this, you know, but um, I'm in here calling people. So, um, yeah, I do feel, you know, I, I do feel it's a different thing and I'm missing out on a big deal, different thing. But I, I also, yeah. at this time when there's so much more, so much pushback, that's when you also see how much hatred there is and how much just flat out racism. I mean, just you see people saying stuff on video and you think, well, you know, on, on one level, thank the goddess I don't hang around with people like that. But I didn't know there were people like that. I mean, I know there are people like that. But there are more people like that than I knew. And, and it, because it's, I, I guess because, you know, like just take racism as an example. That's a really stupid position. And you just think that people would have more sense. <laughs> the level of ignorance is, is phenomenal. That's an amazingly stupid position. Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and and all these people have it. I you know, I don't get it. And I it and it's fact resistant. Um yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and now they're being this, you know, now they're they're being fact resistant about a freaking virus. And they yeah. just, you know, they don't, they don't want to know it. I think a lot, there's a lot of fear base in the society. Tremendous basis of fear behind all of this stuff. And people don't know how to deal with that. They don't have the tools. Uh, you know, some of it I think is a failure of education. Uh, but, you know, we got a lot, you know, we didn't have, we didn't start with much. But edu through education, we were able to do and be and grow. And a lot of, I don't know if the education system is failing or I don't know what, but education did it for a lot of us and continues to do it for a lot of people. Yeah, so for some people, I think it's, it's that you can get a good education, you can go to college, you can get a, a college education, and then you come out and you can't get the kind of professional jobs that we were able to get ultimately to where we could, you know, buy a home and put money away for retirement and stuff that it's fine. I mean, just economically yeah, yeah. with the 1% having, you know, 90, whatever percent it is of the wealth. Yeah. The insecurities. So that the, I mean, the number of people, it used to be, we would talk about the food in, secure people of the world. Now there are, you know, we talk about the food insecure people of the United States of America. And while they've always been there, they're massively larger in, in, in as a demographic. And mm -hmm. 
so that you know, Joyce and I, in some ways, lived the American dream. You know, I, I mean, I got two free Ivy educations, and wow. then, you know, I was able to get jobs and. I didn't always, you know, I didn't. Well, sexism was still at work. Then, yeah, there was that. And it still is. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things that, that continue. Yeah, yeah. But but I think it was possible to get from where we came from. Sure. Um, I mean, your sister said that the other day. How, you know, how did you get there from where we came from? Yeah. But, um, you know, it was possible. And there, there were there were some economic things possible to us that aren't possible um, now, even to white people. So it's starting, you know. So it start, and and this is where some of the rage comes from in the anti um, in the racism is that it used to be possible for white people to progress. And now it's not. And of course, some of them blame the people of color, which is not who's doing it. But um, yeah. Yeah. There are yeah. so many issues, you know. <laughs> There's so many. May I ask them yeah. about that? Yeah. Along the lines of there being like so many issues, um, you know, how have you two kind of dealt with like burnout? Um, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like activism fatigue and and how have you found that like activism kind of affects your relationship like have you ever had something that you didn't agree on as far as um kind of like your activism roots like maybe an issue that was a little stickier for one of you so yeah burnout how to combat burnout and um how you manage activism as part of your relationship well how how i deal with burnout is pretty much how i try to deal with most things in my life is I try to live today. And I ask mm -hmm. myself, what can I do today? What do I have power to do today? What's not in my power to do today? And so in the old days, I used to think, well, I'm going to save the world and I'm going to go out, you know, like I'm going to do it all. Well, I have to get rid of that kind of mentality because as you're right, it's exhausting and you burn out and it's, it's uh, unrealistic. It's a little bit on the sign of uh, mental illness, you know. So I try, I try to face what it's possible that I can do and, and do that, commit myself to do that. So that's helped me. Have we ever disagreed politically? Um, I think that I might have taken longer to feel I personally could have an abortion than you did. Mm. I was at that time still pro-choice, but I didn't feel like I personally could do it. My Catholicism lingered for a while. Yeah. Mm. That's a time I remember that we had a different, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't against your position. I just no, no. was saying I couldn't do it myself. And yeah. Um, yeah. now I, I, I've changed. Now I could. Um, but um as for burnout, for me, I do burn out. Hmm. Um, and when I burn out, I stop watching the news and I stop looking at Facebook for several days. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is that we have been lucky enough to have enough resources that we 
have we go on a few vacations a year, you know, two, three vacations a year. And, um, you know, once in a while we'll do something political on vacation, but almost never. I got very excited when we went to Tahiti and they were doing all the, they were trying to make a bomb test happen at, keep a bomb test from happening at a, an atoll that was not far away, but mostly we just stay out of it and mm -hmm. uh, in on vacation. So, yeah, you know, that's we just, and um, we also make our home a serene place. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. And we're careful about, I, mean, I think all this matters. We're careful about what we eat. Mm. We, well, I haven't exercised since I was sick a while ago, but we normally we both exercise quite a bit. And um, so all those things I think help you to take it on, but, um, but, you know, to just be here now and do, there's some, I don't know the name of the rabbi, but there's some, a, a rabbi, a quote of a rabbi I see on Facebook every once in a while that I really love, which is something like, look, you're not going to change the world completely. Mm -hmm. And you're not even going to change it massively. Mm -hmm. Neither are you free to abandon the task. No. So... That, yeah. You know, I, that's, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and we have each other, you know, we're not alone in this. I mean, we're, we're great support to each other and uh, inspiration and, you know, yeah, makes it, makes it easier. Yeah. And we have a lot of family members and friends who are politically active. Yes. So, um, you know, somebody, texts me and says, oh, well, we, you know, went to the demonstration and here's some photographs and, um, you know, my niece sent me a picture the other day. Here's your nephew at a demonstration, you know, and uh, so, you know, we're not hanging out on some all by ourselves doing this. Um, yeah. And yeah. Go ahead. No, I was thinking about, you know, our, being a lesbian too, that how how much support we got from the community. I mean, having a community at all is just a, it's quite a gift. I mean, there are all kinds of people that are mostly, not all like-minded, but supportive of values that we have. And uh, and they're just there. And you know, I mean, you 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 all know about that. You you deal with pride and and uh, ACLU and all those things that are we know are there and they're they're doing the work and uh, and we're all involved in that, taking care of one another. It's good. Here here's an example. When I uh, first started to get sick about four or five years ago, I went to my Sunday singers group, which is a bunch of women who sing together every other Sunday morning. And we never, um, we never perform anywhere. We just like to sing, so we sing. 
So I got all dizzy. It was the first time it happened. I got all dizzy. I said, I'm dizzy. I got to go into the bathroom. By the time I came out from the bathroom from putting a cold cloth on my head, I came out and they said, okay, so-and-so is going to drive your car. She's going to get with her and they're going to follow you home and pick her up. And I mean, they had me all, they, they had me sorted out before I had wrung out a washcloth and put a cold cloth on my head. I mean, that's how lesbians are. And uh, I, my, one of my favorite signs that I saw at one of the women's marches was they may have all the guns, but we have all the lesbians. And um, I feel that way. I feel like, you know, lesbians, lesbians are incredibly powerful women. Yes. Get the job done. Yeah, we do. That's right. That's amazing. That's actually kind of like one of the questions that um, we wanted to ask, which is, Right, like you all, I mean, you created one of the big institutions of um, of lesbian and women's community in San Diego. So you've always been and had that solid community of women around you. And so how, in in your time here in San Diego, how have you seen the, the community change or shift or evolve over time? And um, right, like, because I think now we mostly call it the queer women's community, and like, there's a difference in political, but also not really so much. Like, I, it's so thoughts feeling. Like, what have you seen in the evolution, and um, do you feel like it's as strong, differently strong? Go ahead. Oh, um, you know, things change all the time, and how people identify changes all the time. And, uh, and, and we identify differently. And so mm. that has to be respected no matter what time period we're in. When we came to San Diego 40 years ago from Boston, and in Boston, if you were a lesbian, you were political. Mm-hmm. When we came to San Diego, and if you were a lesbian, you would probably called yourself gay, mm-hmm. and you weren't necessarily political. So, mm-hmm. so those two kinds of points of view were in the same community, and we tried to do like reconciliation and understand one another, so that you know we'll be accepting. Because in the, in all the movements, you know, there's struggle, there's people different, and people striking out against one another because you're looking for your identity. So we were trying to define ourselves in those days as, as lesbians. And uh, to do that, we kind of had to be in together pretty much and understand one another as best we could. So where was I going with that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Well, how has it changed? Um, I think one of the big things that changed it is that AIDS happened. Yeah. And then um, there were always some women who were more identifying with with gay and the gay center and that kind of stuff. And then there was more the lesbian feminists. And there was some crossover. But then when AIDS happened, it was very clear that um, nobody was gonna do anything for those men. The government wasn't gonna do anything. I mean, one of the reasons that every queer 
person my age adores Anthony Fauci is because he said, oh, here's a virus. I will work on it just as if we were people. Yep. And he did. And um, so we, we came together to help take care of each other and do the stuff that was done, you know. Um, because really, at the, before AIDS, I didn't really know very many gay men. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say that I knew more straight feminist women than I knew gay men. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know that feminism is as high on the list of the current queer women group that as I would like to see it because I came out of, uh, I came out as a lesbian into a lesbian feminist community. I mean, you know, Shulamith Firestone said, um, feminism is the theory, lesbianism is the praxis. Um, but, um, so I would like to see more feminism happen. I would like to get less sexist stuff happen to me from gay men and from men of color. And um, I would like to, um, you know, improve in my ableism and my uh, anti-racism. And I mean, I think, you know, we've got we've to have stuff, we've, we've all got a lot of work to do about everything. But, oh, one thing we were talking about before we got on here that I wanted to just bring up is that you know, like there was a time that um, women only space was a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, that got a bad rap. And I really think that we cannot heal from the damage that happens to us because of discrimination and hatred if we're not allowed to be together as women or be together as Jews or be together as people of color, there's no question that in a room full of people of color, I walk in and the vibe changes. And that doesn't mean, in my saying that, I, I, I don't intend to be divisive, but that we cannot have, um, We cannot have diversity every second. And we don't need to have diversity every second. That what we need is to have some time where we're alone with the people who've been hurt the way we've been hurt to heal and to be heard. You know, this happened to me, it hurt. And there will come a time when white people will be able to hear people of color saying that. And I work to be one of those white people, but I don't think we're there. And in the same way, I think there are, um, I mean, my dear friend, Albert Bell, whom I love dearly and who is gone now, but he and I became friends because he called me up at the Amazon sweet shop one day and he said, I'm reading Mary Daly's book about feminism. And I said, you are? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, oh, uh, that's our uh, 
Jennifer Rising and I put together an anthology. That's a picture of, of the uh, anthology that we did. So anyway, Albert said, uh, you know, I'm reading this book. And, and I know it's, he says, I know it's not your job to teach me about feminism. I said, you do? And he said, yeah. <laughs> so he said, but I was wondering if you give me a half hour of your time, I'd, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. I said, get over here. So he came over and that was how, you know, our friendship began. I think as we tried to hear each other, um, that we will be able to heal each other better than we can now. And until that time comes, I think we need women only space, uh, LGBTQ only space, people of color only space when that's what those people want. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I went to a women's college. So right, I went nice. to women's college for yeah. undergrad. So I, I absolutely fully agree, right? People of color only space is super important to be in a space where you don't have to code switch and think about, um, how is this, like, am I going to hurt white people's feelings if I say this thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think when we're talking about how women's only spaces, um, you know, got a bad rap, it's because those women's only spaces were transphobic and biphobic often, right? Like there were really, there's a lot of, also a lot of really healing space, healing things that happened in those spaces where, um, right? Like people who, who were welcomed into those spaces had amazing experiences. And there were trans women who were excluded from those spaces. And I know there were also bi women excluded from women, queer women's or, um, you know, gay women's only spaces, because bi folks were seen as not gay enough and trans women were seen as not women enough. And so, and I think that those women's spaces, right, which is why we do SheFest mm -hmm. are still so important, right? Because those marginalized, um, those of us among us that are marginalized do have that trauma that we carry with us and we need our own people to be there to hold us, right? As kind of goes back to how y'all were talking about the power of a lesbian women's community and the women that you have around you who are like, got your back through and through. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I think I think you're absolutely right that those um, those kind of closed spaces they don't they don't exist like on their own right because separate is not equal but they exist in a space that is there is kind of healing space so that we can go back out and um, and as and I loved what you said with the um, once we can hear each other we can heal and and I paraphrase and you said it much more beautifully but um, right like. No, when we're in those spaces together in our, those closed spaces, yeah, like we can go back out and like I as a person of color, once I've had that like healing space with my own people of color, then I can go out and mm -hmm. like hope that a white person can hear me because I've, I've shored up those resources, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. What else you got, babe? Well, we're coming up to seven o'clock actually already. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that, I don't know how that happened already. And I know we're supposed to be kind of uh, honoring, you know, all the facets of your relationship, which is, which has been amazing. And, you know, I 
I've really loved talking about like the activism and, mm -hmm. and, and community. Um, I was hoping that maybe because we are getting close to the end, maybe we could close out with like two questions that kind of shift it back toward, toward your relationship, if that's okay. Sure. All right. Okay. So the first part of the question is, uh, what's one thing that you really love about one another? Just one. Okay. Okay. Uh, what I love about Linda is that uh, she's just who she is. You know how in children, they have that innocence that you just, it opens your heart and you can relate to them and love them. Yeah. That's what I see in Linda. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I love Joyce's depth. And what I mean by that is that who Joyce is comes from way inside herself where you can't really make her feel bad about herself. She's got it in there. And I admire that and um, aspire to it. And <laughs> yeah, I really love that. That's amazing. Can I ask that? Yeah, one? you, you, yeah. yeah. Um, so then the second part of that question or second question is, um, what's one thing you really love about your relationship with each other? Again, just one thing. Um, I really love that now after a lot of therapy and learning to communicate, it's calm. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, that um, it's a place of peace for me. Well, I mean, it's kind of trite to say, but I love the love. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, I don't know. I can only say one thing, right? That's it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is an amazing answer. Yes. Both, both those answers are just, Perfect. yeah. Yes. Fuzzy feelings yes. abound. Yes. You yes. asked for it. I know, I did. And you you gave me everything that I was. Yes. You We're fuzzy. That's how you do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Aspirational. Yes. For sure. We'll be we'll yes. be waiting for your book to come out on, yes. on uh, your relationship. Yes. Yes, please. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I could definitely talk to y'all for like hours and hours, but um we do need to wrap well, it up. So. Let's make that happen over coffee one of these days when we can go out again. I would love that so much. That would yes, be amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for your work at the ACLU and your work with Pride. And, you know, thank you for all your work. Because yeah. we're retired. You got to do it. <laughs> Did we both free? Okay. It's fine. Yes. Yeah, and thank you both for all of the work that you have done over yeah. 40 plus years. Yeah, like trailblazers in so many different ways, right? Yeah. Like for our, our our lesbian community, but also just as like uh, couples goals, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much. Yes, yes. So thank you everyone so much for joining us. Um, the Spirit of Stonewall series highlights our amazing 2020 Spirit of Stonewall awardees and all previous interviews and this one 
are available on Pride's YouTube channel and on sdpride.org slash live. And a few, my notes are gone. Um, a few, uh, just quick save the dates for y'all is sure. that one, oh, there we go. Thank you, babe. Uh, first, so celebrate with us. Um, as you heard, Stacy is the chair. I'm the staff liaison for SheFest. So please come celebrate with us on Saturday. Uh, the legacy that uh, Linda and Joyce and so many countless lesbians, bisexual women, trans women, and the queer women before us have created. And so join us at SheFest Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. on the internet. And um, and then also save the date for our virtual rally, which is my personal favorite part of San Diego Pride. And also this is our cat. Uh, when we'll be honoring all of these awardees, which will be next Friday, July 17th at 6 p.m., also on the internet. And we also encourage you to help support Pride's year-round education and advocacy programs while we continue to connect with our community virtually through things like this. And um, so if you can, if you're able, please donate at sdpride.org slash donate. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Have a good night. Bye, Joyce and Linda. <laughs>